Today is Palm Sunday. You probably have heard that phrase before. It's the Sunday before the crucifixion of Jesus, and we celebrate that around here. This, this marks the last week of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a bucket list? How many of you just have a bucket? Let's just start with that. Okay. Is there a list in it? Then there's probably have a bucket list. Bucket list. You know that thing where you have that there's all these kind of things you want to do before you kind of leave the earth. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have an actual list. Some of you just have some things in your mind that you know that you'd probably want to do or, or maybe look at doing uh, before you die. Um, somebody I, I saw recently there on their bucket list was to go to Mount Rushmore. Uh, other people's bucket list, they want to go skydiving, uh, Rocky Mountain climbing, or go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. <laughs> Yeah, I did that. That's an old Tim McGraw song, if you don't know. But I'd, I'd be willing to bet if, if you knew that this was your last week on earth, you'd probably do things a little bit different. At the very least, you'd give a whole lot more thought uh, into what you were doing. Why? Because the things that are the last things, all of a sudden, they become significant. They become important to us. We want to make sure that you know, we do the things that we intend to do and not just let it pass us by. Um, all of a sudden, when things become the last things, we want to make sure that we do things that are important to us. We want to cherish it. We want to make it last a little bit longer. Uh, Thursday night was our last Thursday night service at the Bridge Goldsboro. Kind of a big, big deal, a big monumental, monumental deal. Um, and so we took a selfie together <laughs> from, from the stage. Why did we do that? Because it was the last one. You know, we wanted to make it, we wanted to make it special. And so we're going to two services starting April 1st, and we're going to continue two services at 9 and 11 from here on out. But Thursday night was the last one, so, so we took a selfie, and everybody got it, kind of the first time that I had done that on a Thursday night. But needless to say, if it was our last week on earth, and we knew it was our last week on earth, we would probably do a lot of stuff on purpose. Um, not necessarily a lot of stuff, but we would do things on purpose. We would, we would make it count. Um, this week marks the beginning of Jesus' last week on earth. So it's interesting that we know this because Jesus knew it was his last week on earth. So I just want to take us through, if we could today, on that, that last week of Jesus, kind of go in his shoes and see what he did. And, and, and maybe even do this. Take this last week of Jesus, which is this coming up week, starting today, and kind of walk in his shoes and kind of look what he did, but then kind of have some assignments for ourselves for every day and kind of prepare ourselves for Easter coming up. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to walk through that? So I want you, want you, want, want you to imagine that it is the year AD 33 and you're there. Because I know you've always wanted to imagine that. So you're going to have the opportunity to do that this morning. Um, and, and as we do that, just a quick note, there's a difference between the traditional Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar that we use today. Um, so there are a, a couple of discrepancies in, ter in terms of what actually happened on what day. We're going to be talking today uh, with kind of overlaying it with the Gregorian calendar, the Sunday through Friday. But so we're there. It's, it's AD 33. We're waking up on Sunday morning with Jesus. Now, he's at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, some of his friends. And they're a, a little ways outside of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethany. Um, and Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. So Lazarus is a little more grateful <laughs> at this nowadays. Um, and this miracle, it, it was incredible. It was a huge miracle. You remember the story? Jesus went, and Lazarus had been sick, and Lazarus died, and Jesus called him out of the grave. He comes out with the grave clothes on, and it's just this big deal. And it rocked the region. I mean, everybody uh, heard about this. It was actually the catalyst that jump-started Jesus last week on earth. In John chapter 11, verse 53 
The Bible says that day, they, meaning the religious leaders, they started planning to kill Jesus. It was that day. So Jesus no longer traveled openly among the Jews. So this is Sunday, and there's, there's little record of what he did until the Feast of Passover. Now, Passover was this huge feast that all of Israel celebrated, and during this time, they came from everywhere to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was packed. It was busy. It was a, it was a happening place now. And all this buzz, you can probably imagine, around Jerusalem, is Jesus going to show up? Especially among the religious leaders that were trying to kill him because of everything that he was doing up until this point. And so they're probably wondering, is he going to show up? Is he not? And Jesus is is 100% man, but he's 100% God. He knows what they're planning. And several times throughout the Gospels, we see where he actually evaded because it wasn't, the Bible says, his time yet. But he knew it was his time. And so he gets up Sunday morning and he he walks into the city. Um, Interestingly, he's met with scores of people that are ready to worship him. Pastor Gage talked about it a little bit before. It was a party going in. And so everyone's, they've got their coats on the ground. They've cut palm branches and they put them on the ground. And they're actually recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world that all the prophets in Jewish history had spoken about. And they knew a Messiah was coming. They knew a Savior was coming. And this large group of people recognized Jesus as that guy. And it's like, it's like the first century red carpet. Uh, in Mark chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, it kind of records this uh, part here, and it says that many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means God save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the week starts out pretty good for Jesus, doesn't it? These people are worshiping him. And I think it's appropriate that 2,000 years later, um, on a Sunday, we're all doing the same thing. Isn't that cool? And so when we worship him, it's supposed to be just like it was back then. It was all about Jesus. And sometimes we can make it all about us, can't we? We, we, we can, well, I didn't like the music today, or I didn't enjoy the worship, or I really got moved in the worship. Well, newsflash, to me included, it's not about you or me. <laughs> it's always been about Jesus. Worship has always been about him. So no matter what song we play or what the lighting's doing, these are all just methods. We should all come with a heart that's saying, blessed is he that came in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus. And so put yourself in Jesus' shoes in, the, in that moment, in, in, in that picture. He's, he has known since the beginning that he was going to come and die for these people. Okay, Die for you, die for me. Th- those were the people that were actually there uh, during the time. And he, they're finally acknowledging who he is. So imagine on Sunday, he knows that week he's going to die on Friday. And his week starts out with them worshiping him. The whole reason why he came. Can you imagine what an encouragement that was for him? just starting out the week. And so Sunday is a day of worship. That's what Sunday was. And so our assignment for the rest of today, we've started out good, we've started out worshiping him, is invest time today for the rest of the day adoring him and recognizing Jesus as your Savior. That's our assignment. Recognize that he's the one that came to die for your sins. Recognize what he came to do for you and just find yourself for the rest of the day just being grateful. Don't ask him for a thing. Just be grateful. So that, that's our assignment. Sunday is a day of worship. Uh, so Sunday night comes, and Jesus, is, he goes back to Bethany. He's back in the home of Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus. And Monday morning rolls around, and it's, it's time for Jesus to no longer hold back. He comes into Jerusalem, and he takes authority. So Monday is a day of authority. And you probably remember this story in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 15. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, he enters the temple, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. This is the fun part. Jesus overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of of those selling doves. 
He was ticked. <laughs> he comes in and he does it. Now, I just want to clear up a big misunderstanding because this scripture has been taken out of context for years. Um, he wasn't mad because they were selling things, okay? He was mad because they had taken what God meant to be a house of prayer and turned it into something different. They had created this monopoly on selling stuff. They had made this huge profit, and they were jacking up prices, and they were robbing people. Uh, look at what he says in Mark 11, verse 17. He's, Jesus says, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it something different. You've made it a den of robbers. They, they were selling animals before, and they were selling animals after this day because God's, it was part of the law, and they were being obedient, and they were actually providing a service so that people could take part in obeying the law that God gave them at that time. But these people had forgotten what the point of it was along the way, and their hearts were crooked, and they started making it about money, and they started making it about profit, and so they were no longer providing a service just to provide a service. And so Jesus comes in, and he rocks their world, but that really wasn't the biggest issue. The biggest issue was Jesus was coming in saying, this is my house and I'm taking authority over it. He was demonstrating his lordship, his sovereignty, and his authority over, over the temple. He said, this is my house and you've made it something else. And that's, that changes right now. And so Monday, our assignment for Monday, for tomorrow, is ask yourself, having worshipped all day today, having adored God all day today, ask yourself, is there any area of my life that I need to take authority over? Maybe the enemy, maybe Satan, you, you've been giving him the opportunity to come in and, and either tempt you or actually give in to certain areas of your life. Maybe it's, it's, it's sin in your life, and you need to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to give in to that anymore. I'm taking authority in Jesus' name. Maybe it's you've kind of allowed Satan to run rampant in your thoughts, and you've chased what we call chasing rabbits. You know what I mean? You, you chase the, the rabbit all the way down the bunny hole. Uh, and before you know it, you're upset and you're angry and your thoughts just spin. Maybe he's manipulating circumstances in your life and you're allowing him to do that. Maybe he's stirring up conflict in your relationships and you're allowing him because you're kind of giving in to that, not doing anything about it. Maybe he's just been successful at bringing you down lately. And you want to say, you know what, it's time to take authority. So I, I want you to think about what area in your life do you need to put your foot down and say, in Jesus' name, I have authority over this, in Jesus, not you, Satan. Because you know what? He really doesn't have authority in your life. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he didn't mean it, I'm dead. He meant I have accomplished everything I'm going to accomplish for them. And then the Bible says he gave up his spirit. It has been done for you. You have the authority in Jesus' name to take authority over your life. Satan has no authority. The only authority he has uh, is whenever we give him authority by forgetting who we actually are in Jesus. And so all day Monday, take authority over your life. Tell Satan I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to you. Uh, you have no authority over my family. Maybe you have no authority over my finances or, or my health. Satan, you have no authority over my self-worth. I'm not listening to you anymore. Does that sound like something that some of you need to do? Uh, there's areas in my life I need to do it. So we're going to put our foot down on Monday. That's our assignment, and we're going to take authority. Go back to the, the first century. We're there with Jesus again. Jesus, he, he's ridden into town. He's worshipped by the crowds. He's taking authority over his house, over the temple. And I just want you to imagine the religious leaders when Jesus goes in and does this. Imagine what they were probably thinking. You think they were irritated at Jesus for going in? Because honestly, they were probably benefiting uh, and getting kickbacks from what the thieves were doing. 
they were probably getting some kickback. So Tuesday rolls around, and as you might expect, it's a day of challenges. <laughs> Jesus has just taken authority, and anytime we take authority over anything, there's always some kickback. And this is what happened. Tuesday's a, a day of challenges. No sooner than he goes into Jerusalem again on Tuesday, he walks into the temple, and they go after him. I mean, one after the other. Uh, Mark eleven twenty eight. it says, who gave you authority to do this? He's just met with this, this hatred because he's rocking the boat. He's telling the truth. In fact, if you read all of chapter 11 and 12, you see every, every religious group, their leader comes to him, and they try to challenge him about something. And they all have these little pet issues, these little pet things that, that really they're uh, interested in. Um, but they come to Jesus in the form of trying to trip him up with questions. And so there was this group called the Sanhedrin. They were the, the ruling body. And they come up and challenge him. And they, they say, who, who gave you authority to act like this? But they weren't really caring about Jesus. They were caring about themselves. Because if Jesus had the authority, then that means they didn't. And that's what they were really concerned about. And so they begin to ask him these questions. And then the Pharisees, you probably have heard that name before. They were, this, they were like the religious legalists. They were the religious people like of today that you just, we call them hypocrites. They say one thing and they do the other. That, that was the, the Pharisees. They, they come to him and they try to trip him up and they ask him a question about the law. And they say, well, who, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to Caesar you know, or should we pay taxes to, to God? What, what, what should we do? And really, they were just concerned about the rules because they actually lorded it over to the people that how, how well they kept the rules. And so if Jesus didn't have to keep them, then what did that mean for them? That, that was like, that was like their, uh, everyone viewed them as being able to keep it. So if Jesus didn't, then what, what happens to their power? Then there were the, the Sadducees. There were these theologians. They had this pet issue about uh, the resurrection and the end days and what that was going to look like. And they had their own opinions about it. And, and they challenged him with a resurrection question because if Jesus' theology is different and everyone agrees with him, then all of a sudden their influence is gone. And then the lawyers of the day, they, they realize Jesus is answering all the, all the questions well and they come up and ask him, they, they say, well, which, which commandment is the greatest? And he's just getting hit <laughs> all these different areas. And Jesus doesn't bat an eye. He just says, he says this in, in Mark 12. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because go back to Monday for a minute. He's taken authority already. So he doesn't have to be defensive in all these answers he's giving. He just answers their questions. It's a day of challenges, but he answers them in such an awesome way and with complete confidence because he knows who he is. And he's taken authority uh, over these things. And so after he answers their questions, it's kind of amazing. He, he turns around to all the people that have gathered because, I mean, he drew a crowd. And he says this in verse 38. He says, beware of all these teachers of the law. <laughs> and he just starts to put them down right in front of their face. He said, they like to walk around wearing fancy clothes. And they love for people to greet them with respect in the marketplaces. They love to have the most important seats in the synagogues and at feast, But they cheat. <laughs> they cheat widows. They steal their houses. And then they try to make themselves look good because they say long prayers. You ever said a long prayer because you were trying to make yourself look more spiritual than the next person? You know what I'm saying? That's kind of like the same attitude. Um, when I was first started in ministry, I was only 20 years old, and I was on staff with the people that were a lot older than me, and they made the mistake of asking me to pray for the meal at lunchtime. And I was like, i got to impress these guys, you know? And so I say this long prayer, and when I get done, the, the, the eldest one looks at me and says, Bud... He said, when you're praying for the food, it ain't time to catch up on your prayer life. <laughs> Point taken. So I was like, bless the food, Jesus. We love you. Amen. All right? 
But these leaders, Jesus was like attacking them. They just trying to make themselves look good. And what he's saying is, I hate fake. <laughs> I hate fake. I don't, you know, he would rather us be completely against him than to try to put up some phony front. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the, the heaviness that we walk around with, trying to, trying to do something good enough to be worthy of God. And on the inside, we're just like something different. He said, I, I, don't, I don't want you to do that. That's what these people are doing. I, I don't want you to do that. If you're struggling because you're, you're striving towards me and you're, you happen to fail every now and again, you know, Jesus can do so much more with that than he can for somebody that just comes to try to put up a, a phony front. And that's fake. Jesus hates fake. He hates it. He hates it when you do it. He hates it when I do it. Be real. Be transparent. Be honest. And, and it gets even better because he turns back to the religious leaders and then he starts calling them hypocrites. He says, you're, you're like blind guides. And blind guides lead people right into ditches, right? He said, you're like graves. I love the imagery. He said, you, you're like this beautiful headstone, but then like underneath is just death and bones. He said, that's, that's what you look like. You're appearing to be one thing, but on the inside, you're something completely different. And he is just confronting these people. Can you, can, can you feel the tension going in Jerusalem? This is the, Jesus last week, and they're planning to kill him, and he's just going in full force, taking authority, and just telling it like it is. And so the day ends, and the religious leaders, they go back, and they start working on their plans to trap him and kill him. And Jesus goes back to uh, Bethany for dinner, to Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is home. And the challenges aren't over, because he's sitting there, and uh, Martha's cooking supper, and Mary comes over with this jar of very expensive perfume. And she pours it on Jesus' feet and anoints him with it. Remember the story? You remember that? And then Judas speaks up. Remember Judas? Everybody loves Judas. And he says, this, this is a waste. He said, that could have been sold. That's expensive. We could have sold that and taken the money and given it to the poor. He, he was lying. The Bible says that he actually was the treasurer of the group, and he would oftentimes go into the money bag and take whatever he wanted for himself. He was lying. And Jesus knew it, and, but he, he said something else. He looks right at Judas. He confronts him. In John 12, he says, leave her alone. She is doing this in preparation for my burial. So even at night, even among his own number, he's facing challenges and he's having to, he's having to confront it. Judas, he takes the, the rebuke that Jesus gave him. It probably embarrassed him in front of everybody because he probably wanted to pretend like he was doing something religious and, and Jesus turns around and rebukes him and he runs out. And we kind of remember the story. He goes out and begins the path toward negotiations to betray Jesus. So let's recap. Sunday, it was a day of worship. So for the rest of the day today, we're going to intentionally worship God. We're going to intentionally give him our praise. Monday was a day of authority. So tomorrow, I want you to be thinking now, but tomorrow we're going to take authority over the areas of our lives that we've been tripped up. And we're going to say, you know what, I don't have to be this. Satan, you don't have authority over me. We're going to put our foot down. And then Tuesday, because challenges happen whenever we take authority, we're going to be strong in the face of opposition. I want you to know that. Because the, the minute you take authority in your life, don't be surprised whenever you, you worship and you put your foot down and, and take authority, Satan's going to try to divert your attention. He just will. Can everyone just nod your head and say, yep, that's probably going to happen? We're always shocked when it happens, and then we think God's abandoned us. <laughs> but this is, I mean, the, you have a real enemy whose whole goal is to take your life, whose whole goal is to keep your attention away from the things of God. So there will probably be opposition, but he does not have authority in your life. He doesn't. God does, and, and you have the authority in Jesus Christ. Now, he may try to manipulate circumstances around you. Oh, will he mess with that? 
And don't be surprised if people that you love, the people that are closest to you, all of a sudden they start, they start in on you. You know what I mean? Um, maybe not knowing exactly what's happening, but there'll just be conflict. You'll just start to feel it, and you'll know. Don't be defensive. Jesus didn't. He just, he just faced it. Remember, your identity is in Christ. Worship him, take authority, and be strong. And when you've done everything you can do to stand, the Bible says to stand. Stand strong. Um, in fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 Jesus says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. He said the persecution actually drives you deeper into God's kingdom. So remember that. Wednesday, there's actually no record of what uh, Jesus did in terms of activity, but we believe that Jesus was with his disciples. Um, We know that Tuesday night, Jesus warned them what was coming. I'm getting ready to be arrested and turned over and and killed. Um, The gospel writers provide this long list of parables that Jesus taught. So we know that Jesus was with his disciples, he was warning them, but he was also teaching them a lot. And it's like Jesus was saying, the time has come, and I want to make sure that you know everything there is to know before I get out of here. Kind of like this, what we said earlier, this is my last, and I want to make sure that I do everything that I'm, I'm going to do on purpose. I want to speak to you and tell you these things. I want to make sure you know this stuff. He's preparing himself, and he's preparing them for what's coming. So on Wednesday, what we're going to do, what our assignment is, is we're going to prepare, and we're going to do that by fasting and praying. We're going to take uh, Wednesday, and we're going to fast and pray. Fast something, and spend that day in prayer, preparing. Preparing for what? Well, preparing for Easter that's coming up. Why do I want to prepare for Easter? Well, it's Resurrection Sunday, and there's a lot of people that you know that are far from God that would benefit in coming to a church service just like this and hearing about uh, uh, amazing grace. And so I want you to be in prayer. I want you to pray for people in your life, whether they come to the service or not. Prepare for opportunities to invite them, but, but ask, ask God to, to work through you and in you to have some type of conversation with people in your life that are far from God so that his, his power, his might can work through you. Because I, I got to be honest, I, I can do the best I can by myself, but there's nothing inside Ryan Barbado that can change a heart. There's nothing inside you that can change somebody's heart. Only God can do that. Would you agree? Fast and pray. Ask God, help me. Help me to be used by you to have these conversations. Lord, if the timing is right, help me to be used by you to invite them to church on Sunday. We're actually starting a new series called Amazing Grace. So they'll be there for the very first one. And we'll be going through several weeks talking about the amazing grace of of God in different facets. So let's recap quickly. Sunday, the rest of today, our assignment is to worship. We're going to walk through this week in in the footsteps of Jesus we're going to worship God. Monday, we're going to take authority uh, over the things in our lives that have, have kind of gone in the other direction. Tuesday, we're going to be strong in the face of opposition. Wednesday, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to prepare ourselves for Easter coming up. And that leads us to, yeah, all right. Everybody did go to kindergarten, right? We learned the days of the week. Yeah. Thursday, and Jewish Passover has begun by, by Thursday. And so Jesus gathers with his disciples, um, and he has what we call the Last Supper. You ever heard of that? And he, ha- he has this meal with them. And in Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 15 and 16, he says this to them. He says, I've, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to each of them, saying, this is my body given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which 
is poured out for you. And so he, he did this, and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Maybe they didn't know exactly what he was talking about, what he was saying. They would know for sure later on. But, I mean, think about the power of this moment. He's having the very first communion with them. And it's, the, it's a communion where Jesus Christ himself in bodily form is doing it. I mean, they, they're a part of this thing. Uh, it represents him dying for their sins. It represents him dying for the whole world, for them, for us. Can you imagine what a powerful moment that was? Not to mention everything Jesus had just done the days prior. He, he has his big showdown in the temple. Um, he has stood down every single religious leader uh, in, in town in terms of all the different groups. He's warned them that, and everybody that he's going to die, that he's going to suffer. And then Judas, he rebuked Judas, and you know, he stormed off mad. You would think that these disciples in this moment, this holy moment that we look back on, and you would think that they'd be in tune to what God was doing. You want to take, anybody want to guess what they were doing? <laughs> You're going to get so mad. Watch this. In Luke 22, he says, an argument broke out among the disciples as to which one of them should be thought of as the greatest. <laughs> don't you just want to slap somebody? I mean, I don't know. I don't, are you kidding me? They're fighting about who's first, and Jesus is actually doing the first communion. He's, he's getting ready to die for their sins. And in that moment, I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have done what Jesus did. I probably would have used that moment as, a, as an opportunity to just rebuke them again and maybe slap a few of them, maybe line them all up and do like in the cartoons where they slap them all one big time right down the list. You know, last whooping right before he goes. That's not what Jesus did. His response blows me away. He takes a towel, wraps it around him, and he stoops down and starts to wash their feet. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, well, that's weird. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus, first of all, he was always doing things that were weird <laughs> in terms of how people perceived it. But this wasn't weird. Matter of fact, every single one of them knew the significance of what Jesus was doing. Feet washing was a very significant and very consistent part of that culture and, and, and that era and in that part of the world. First of all, they wore sandals. Let's just think about this logically. They walked on dirt roads. Most of them were dirt. Donkeys and other animals walked on the roads, which means everything that they leave behind was on the roads. They walked in it, and if they didn't look where they were going, they stepped in it. And if it was raining, it was squishy. <laughs> Foot washing was a very consistent need. In fact, if you were to go to any home in that era, you'd probably find a wash basin beside the door when you walked in, and that was for the purpose of washing your feet. Uh, for your guests, for you, so you could walk in the house with, with clean feet. Um, and so if you were wealthy, you probably had a servant there. And so when you walked in, a servant would wash your feet or a servant would wash the feet of your guest. And so when Jesus stooped down, you, 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 they were just like, what are you doing? You're, you're God. You're, why are you washing my feet? Because they knew that, that foot washing for a servant to do that, that was like the lowliest, most disgusting job anybody could do. It was the job of a servant. And Jesus was saying, that's what I'm becoming for you. So if you want to be first, do what I'm doing. He said, I'm your example. In John 13, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he sat down again, and he asked them, he said, do you understand what I've just done for you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you're right, because that's, that's exactly what I am. So if I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher and I've just washed your feet, 
then how much more should you be doing it? Then you should wash the feet of other people, each other's feet. You should do that also. I did this as an example so that you should do as I have done for you. He's saying, you want to be first? You're having this argument. You want to be first? He said, I've, I've got the most authority in the room. I'm the most powerful person in this room. And what I did is I made myself a servant. So I'm going to take Jesus' words, and I'm just going to throw it out there to you and I today. What do you do whenever you look around and you're the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when you look around and maybe you own a business or maybe you're a manager and you're the boss and, and you have the most authority in the room? Or for all you parents out there, when you go home and, and you look around and your kids are there and you, you realize you're the, you're the most powerful person in the room. Or maybe you're a leader at church or you're a leader at school. What do you do? What do you do when you encounter a homeless person on the street? There's so many different um, venues that we walk into where we look around and we realize that, you know what, we've got the most influence. I've got the most power. I've got the most uh, authority in, in the room right now, in this circle. I can tell you what Jesus did. He leveraged his power. He leveraged his authority. He leveraged all the influence he had, and he stooped down and made himself nothing, and he served. And I've just got this feeling that if your identity is really in Christ Jesus, then you're going to do the same thing. You're going to do what Jesus did. So Thursday, here's our assignment. We're going to serve. That's our assignment. Thursday, we are going to stretch outside of our comfort zone, and we are going to serve. I want you to, I want you to serve somebody that you've never served. Serve somebody that maybe you, you don't have to serve. But you're going to serve to show that, you know what, my identity is in Christ Jesus. Even better than that, serve somebody that maybe in your mind or opinion or whatever doesn't deserve to be served. You think the disciples deserve to be served after the conversation they were having right in front of the Most High God, right here in bodily form in front of them? I mean, they, they deserved that. <laughs> Jesus stooped down, he served. Serve somebody. Later that night, we find Jesus in Gethsemane. It's a garden. He had gone there to pray. The disciples were with him. It was a place that they went to often. He was praying, and it was, it was at nighttime. His, he's agonizing over what he's getting ready to do. He's agonizing over the, the pain physically that he's getting ready to face, but it wasn't just about the physical pain. Jesus Christ was getting ready to take on the, the, the wrath of God. He was getting ready to take on the penalty for your sin and for my sin. See, the, the people got nailed to the cross all the time. In fact, the Romans did it constantly. That's why they were so good at it. They, they were so good. They, they, they knew the anatomy. They could hang somebody up there, and they would survive for, for a day or two because they knew exactly how to do it, miss arteries. People got hung on the cross all the time. If that's all it was, then Jesus is no different than any other man that did it. But Jesus did more than that. He took on the wrath of God for your sin and for mine. One of the, the best ways I've been able to kind of think of that is, is feeling guilty over something that I've done. Have you ever done something or hurt somebody or just felt rotten over something that you've, did, you've done? I mean, it's like heavy. I'm not talking about you, you did. I'm talking you really messed up and you couldn't sleep. It was heavy on you and you couldn't, couldn't sleep until you went to that person. That heaviness, that guilt, that, that shame. We, we talked about regrets a few weeks ago, and, and, and we, we shredded our regrets. you remember that? Why, why do we make such a big deal out of it? Because it's heavy. It's things that we just wish we had never, ever done. Now, I want you to take that feeling and magnify it times a billion times a billion times a billion. You wouldn't be able to think. You wouldn't be able to breathe. The, the very feeling of it itself would crush you. And Jesus sat there and took it on for three hours. The Bible says that the sky turned black. There was this earthquake. I mean, it, it was crazy. Jesus took on the wrath 
of God. And so he's, he's sitting in the, in the garden, and he's praying, and he's agonizing over this. He, he's, he is, he's pleading with his disciples. He's like, will you guys pray with me? Please stay up and pray with me. Can you just do it for an hour? He, just please stay up and pray with me. And, and, of course, they said they would, and then they fall asleep. And then he, he goes back and fall, throws himself on the ground, Jesus does. And he's crying out to God, and he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way that I can pay for, for Ryan's sin, or, or for you put your name in the blank, for your sin, he said, if there's any other way that that can be accomplished, he said, please let me know what that is. It's not that he was trying to, to kind of move out of, of getting it accomplished. The, the bottom line was, he was the, your sin was going to be paid for. He's saying, but if there's any other way to do it, let me know. But, the, but in, in order for, for something had to be done, and if God was going to lower the standard and somehow accept sin or, or make it acceptable to him, then he's, he's just as imperfect as you, just as imperfect as me, and he's not a God worth worshiping. So Jesus was by no means saying, I want you to lower your standard, God, so I don't have to go through this. He was saying, I, I have the same heart as you. We have to accomplish this. I have to accomplish this. But he, he was very human, and he was agonizing, and he was saying, if there's any other way. In fact, he was, he was sweating, the Bible says, sweating blood. And we've read that scripture before, and sometimes we're like, what does that even mean? We, Luke actually is the one that records it, one of the gospel writers, and it makes sense that he would observe that because he was the physician, he was kind of the doctor of the group, so he, he noticed things like that. And they didn't know what it was, but we know it's a condition now called uh, hematridosis. Today, bottom line is that you've got blood vessels all around your sweat glands, and whenever your blood vessels constrict and dilate, they can actually rupture. And then the blood gets mixed in with the sweat, and, then, and it comes out red, blood mixed in with sweat. It's a, it's, a real, it's a real medical condition. And you know what the cause of it is? extreme anguish. Your, your body can actually get to the point of such extreme anguish that your, the capillary glands, the blood vessels, they actually constrict and dilate and they burst and it comes out in your sweat. It's interesting, Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew records Jesus saying to, to his disciples at that moment that my soul is so sorrowful to the point of death. He was anguishing over what he was getting ready to do. And I don't know if you can if you can just kind of think about that for a minute and think about that he did it for you, that he did it for me. Because there was no other way that it could happen. And he asked God, is there any other way? But then he said, if there's no other way, God, your will be done in my life. I'll do it. I'll pay. I'll be the one to go. I will do it. I don't know about you, but can, do you just want to thank God and say thank you for not giving up? Because it was in that moment that he could have given up. But he said, I'll do it. I'll pay. I'll be the one that goes. And it was in that moment Judas shows up with, with the religious leaders. Well, actually, it was, a, it was a gang of people. And they arrest Jesus. And Judas comes up, and he, he kisses Jesus on the cheek. You heard it, the Bible say he betrayed him with a kiss. Back then, it was customary to greet somebody with a kiss. And he said, the one I kissed, that's him. And, and they arrest Jesus, and they take him in. And they stay up all night, and they have these legal trials, and they're, they're, they're hitting him, and they're, they're beating him, and they're pulling his beard out, and they're embarrassing him saying all these things, and, and Jesus takes it. They do this all night. He's exhausted. He's exhausted from having no sleep because he stayed up all night. He, he's exhausted from the beatings. And at any moment, at any moment in time during this, the Bible says, and it's true, because he was 100% God, he could have gotten out of it. He could have, the Bible says, called down all the angels in heaven and just swooped him out of there and said, you know what, I'm going to try this a different time. Because he was 100% human. And had all the feelings, all the temptations just like we do. They didn't kill 
him. The Bible says that he did it willingly and gave up his spirit willingly. They, they beat him till he was unrecognizable. They hung him on a cross. And the Bible says when it was accomplished, he gave himself up. He gave up his spirit. With every ounce of blood that was spilled, with every whip that went across his back, he was saying, I love you and I was willing to do it for you. I don't know what you feel like when it comes to God whenever you walked in the room today. I don't know what your life has been like up until now. I don't claim to know all the problems and all the hurt that you've been through. But I know that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. I know that he, he went through more than we could possibly think about because he loved you. And he said, heaven is not worth having if I don't make an, a way, an opportunity for you to be there too. He died for you. He did it for you. Why? Because everyone needs to know. John 3.16 says it so beautifully. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him not whoever does all this stuff, not whoever keeps the list of, of do's and don'ts, whoever you know, looks good, whoever just believes in him, whoever believes that he is the only way, they'll not perish, but they'll have everlasting life, eternal life. He loves you. He is absolutely in love with you. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna take communion together. You probably got a little cup like this when you came in. Jesus said when he did it with his disciples, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. As we get ready to go into this week, Passion Week, we need to, we need to remember together what it is that Jesus did for us. This is grape juice and a real stale wafer. <laughs> There's nothing significant about this. Just like there was nothing extremely significant about the bread that Jesus broke and the wine that was in the cup. But when we remember what he did, it becomes so symbolic. The significance is right here. So I wonder if, as we take this together, um, if our hearts could just completely remember what it is that he did for us. And I'm not just saying, oh, he died for us, woohoo, because, you know, we've been saying that for a long time. Even people that aren't necessarily Christians, they, they, Jesus died, they've heard that. It can kind of go right over our heads. But can we for a minute just contemplate the significance of what Jesus did for us? Contemplate him in the garden agonizing. Contemplate the blood that was spilled, that was pure. It was actually, he was sinless. He didn't deserve that. We did. And, and, and the, the physical execution, that was just a picture of what sin deserves. He took on the wrath of God for you. Via the cross. <laughs> I don't know if that's hitting home, but I just believe right now the Holy Spirit's speaking to us into our hearts and letting us know, just giving us a glimpse, maybe that we've never seen before, about what it is that Jesus actually did for us. And my hope is that as we take this in just a second, that we take this as an opportunity, not just to, to drink some juice and eat a wafer, because if that's the case, it's so disgusting. I don't think I would want to do it just for that. It's not that bad, but it's... But this represents something so beautiful. <laughs> that not only can you have life here on this earth, but he loves you so much that he said heaven wasn't worth going to without you. If it had been just you, he'd have done it. <laughs> he'd have gone through what he went through just to save you. So if you hear anything else I, I say today, hear this. Jesus loves you. 
he was with his disciples, and he said, this is, this is my body, this bread that represents my body. He said, I'm getting ready. It's getting ready to be bruised. It's getting ready to be broken for you. Can we just peel back that top layer there and hold that little piece of bread? Just hold it up. Can you hold it up for a second? God, we recognize that this is very symbolic of, the, of your body that you willingly gave and broke for us. We don't, we don't t- take this in vain, but we hold it in high significance, and we just say thank you. Our hearts are, are full. In Jesus' name, let's take that together. Peel back that second layer, just like the disciples used to do it. <laughs> That's a Pastor Farrell joke. I don't know if you've ever heard him say that, but all oh, the blood of Jesus. So many songs have been written about the blood of Jesus, but the greatest song you could ever sing is the one that's inside your heart right now, and he hears it. So can we just hold this cup up? Lord, we, we're grateful for this blood that was poured out. Our blood couldn't do it. It's got a sin nature attached to it. But you willingly gave yourself and your precious, innocent, pure blood was spilled so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. The sacrifice was made for us. We don't take this in vain. We recognize that it's only you that's our way to heaven through this precious blood that was spilled. This is symbolic, and we give you thanks. We do this in remembrance of you in Jesus' name. We take it together. Just put that down in your seat. I want you to stand up together. The band's going to sing a song, and I'm going to come back up in a second, and we'll finish out in prayer. Let's worship together. Sing, be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up, be lifted higher. Be lifted up, be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Come on, sing it again. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up. His name is life. Your name is life. Your name is hope inside me. It's hope inside me. Your name is love. A love that all 
All this leads up to Resurrection Sunday. He didn't stay in the grave. He's alive. He's alive today. And that's the reason why we can sing this song. I, I don't know about you, but I would never lift up the name of something that's dead. <laughs> something that has absolutely no authority, no power, just, just dead. That's called stupidity. <laughs> we lift up the name of, of, of Jesus Christ who's alive. The only one who defeated death and sin and the grave. He didn't stay in the tomb. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 8 and 11, li listen to this. It says, Christ rose from the dead, and he's never going to die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once for all to end sin's power. Somebody needs to hear that today. The, the, the thing that you feel like has power over your life, he died so that you, it didn't have authority over you. This is, this is the word of God to end sin's power. Listen, so look upon your old sin nature. Look upon the things that, that bind you up or maybe used to bind you up. You have to view it this way, as dead, as unresponsive. And instead, be alive to God. Be alert to him. Not in and of yourself, you could never do enough. He says, but in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is there anybody in, in the room today that just says, you know what, God, I've, I, I'm yours. I, and sin no longer has mastery over me. Sin no longer has authority in my life. I don't know what it is that you, you're, it's weighing you down, but Jesus paid an awful big price for you to walk out of here and still hold it. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. He's a God worth worshiping. He's a God worth adoring. Can, can we just pray together? God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come into this room. God, worship together to be reminded of some very powerful truths. Lord, to take communion together and remember what it is that you did for us. We, we don't take today in vain, God, but we, we see it as life-giving. We see it as encouraging because it's just infused with you. Lord, I pray blessing over each family that's represented here, each individual. Lord, that you would remind us of these truths. God, that we would make every single day of this coming up week, starting today, Lord, to actually walk in your footsteps and to worship you, Lord, to, to make this very real, leading up, Lord, to Easter. Don't, don't let us walk backwards into Easter. <laughs> let us do it on purpose and celebrate even, even more, God, this, this coming week leading up to it. If there's somebody in the room today that's, that's never said, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. Maybe you've heard me talking today and you've heard all the things that we've said and you said, I, it's time for me to do that. And, and you feel something down deep inside of you kind of kind of pulling at you. That's, that's not me. That's not your breakfast. That's, that's God. 
That's the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you. And my hope today is that you'd be bold enough to say yes to him and walk out of here and in and through him, living your life for him. I'm gonna say a quick prayer and then we're gonna go. God, we need you. We can't do it ourselves. We, we, we can never do enough. We could never do enough to earn worthiness. We could never, even after this life is over, go to heaven, Father, by ourselves. We, we need you. Jesus, we accept your sacrifice for us. It's in and through you that I want to live my life, fill in all the gaps of my imperfections. I'm going to aim my heart at you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So glad you came today. If you're here for the very first time, I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby. I'd love for you to come by and say, hey, listen, real quick, if, if you made a spiritual decision today, especially if you prayed to receive Christ, please fill out a connect card and let us know about that decision you've made. We would love to know about it. The ushers are at the back. You can drop it off in the basket when you go. Um, if you have any prayer requests, maybe that you thought of during the service, write those down. We'd love to partner with you and pray this upcoming week. Love you guys. See you on Easter next week. <laughs>